All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Providence POV. It's Joe and Peter here with you. Thursday, February 22nd. It's 6 o'clock on the nose. You'll be listening to this on Friday the 23rd at approximately 10 a.m. We're coming to you. It is Victory Thursday. Providence goes on the road and beats Xavier 79-75 at the Cintas Center in a huge Quadrant 1 victory for the Friars. Peter, that that was an emotional back-and-forth game. It was not a must-win, but it is certainly a nice-to-have. How you doing today? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing probably better than I would if we lost. No, you we, we came on and I asked you, or we kind of talked about, Joe, when we hit, before we hit record, right? Like, was this a must-win? And it's, it was hard to put that label on it just because you still have games coming up, right, and opportunities coming up. But you if you if you kind of sit back and kind of, like I say, use your brain in a, in a nice way, use your brain, and you will get realistic quad one wins – out of the three at the moment that are quad one wins, going to Xavier was the most winnable than at home against UConn or going to Marquette next week, right? So yep. it was as close as a must win as you can get. And right, like, and that was massive. Get the five quad one wins. Uh, you basically push X out of, I guess, any bubble consideration for, for the most part at this point. They're probably like a 1% chance. And you get to 18 and win 18 wins. You get to nine wins in the big East. You're pushing scene hall at a chance to get that four seed, depending on what happens this weekend, right? Like it was a game that you thought was going to slip away with some foul trouble and they battled. They made some clutch shots. Another guy stepped up, Jaden Pierre. We've been asking for someone else to step up and someone did. And you walked away with a very gutsy and a very gutsy win. Yeah. A hundred percent. We'll talk about, you know, Biggie standings record and, and big picture implications at the end here. But uh, to, to your point, I think Jaden Pierre, it was the, you know, MVP of last night, yeah. but uh, you know, we can't talk about this game without first talking about the final defensive possession in which um, Batman, the man in the mask ticket gains, blocked Quincy Oliveri. Nope, not Quincy Oliveri. Desmond Claude's layup attempt. Um, got the rebound, got fouled, and iced the game at the free throw line. That was uh, the most important defensive possession of the season so far. Um, and, man, that was, I mean, credit to Ticket, too. He had missed a three on the offensive end, you know, shook it off and made a huge game-winning defensive play, you know, Awesome, awesome, awesome uh, composure, a uh, way to bounce back after missing the shot, and, you know, most importantly, way to not foul, too, yeah. it, especially on Desmond Claude. It felt almost as if, and I think I texted you this, too, if you took a breath on Desmond Claude, you were getting called for a foul. Um, you know, obviously, ticket, you know, that's a, a bang-bang play. Ticket makes the block huge you know, game winning play for ticket. Yeah. Right. Like he, it's tough to say he had to redeem himself after that three, but he kind of did right with under a minute left. You're up four and he had all the time in the world to set his, uh, his set his feet, uh, take a second and hoist up a three in a spot that uh, he's particularly good at. Right. And the ball was halfway down. Right. And he misses that, and you had to go a chance to go from four to seven, right? And that it ices the game if he makes that, right? Like you and I are not talking about a ticket gains 
last second defensive play if he makes that three, right? Like that doesn't right. ever happen because the game is all about all but one at that point. If he makes that three, he doesn't, right? And then things kind of spiral for the Friars, right? A bucket for X and then a brutal turnover uh, leads to an, a chance for X to tie it or even take the lead by three. And you mentioned ticket gains not fouling, right? And Desmond Claude, you you texted me this, and I think I texted other people this, and I was telling my dad when we were watching and we were talking about it, right? Desmond Claude was pushing the whole game, right? Yep. And they weren't calling it. So eventually you just kind of have to forget about it. If they're not going to call it, they're not going to call it, and you have to be physical back, even though I thought they didn't let us be physical back. But whatever. When Devin Carter switched on him down the stretch, he was kind of – uh nonchalant he like he wasn't really a factor and, and when they i think they made a huge adjustment on claude joe when they went under a lot of his screens instead yep. of going over to give him a first step because he had a couple threes early in the first half but that's not his game and they lived with that in the second half because he really didn't take any right so you great defense on ticket by ticket right he jumps in the air he's straight up he doesn't he doesn't reach over he doesn't lean over he doesn't collapse like we see a lot of guys do and he goes straight up. He goes straight for the ball. And he, he makes a great play. And you need guys down the stretch, right? If it's a Pierre three, if it's um, making a key loose ball or falling on it or making a block to win the game, you have to have guys make plays in big spots if you want to go win road games in the Big East, right? And you had ticket games have a chance to make a, a clutch three to ice the game. That was a big spot. He mm -hmm. didn't make it. And then he comes back and he redeems himself and basically obviously ices the game for the fire. Not fully ices the game. There were still five seconds left, but then made two free throws, took care of business on the other side of the, the court, which we have seen our team not do at times, makes yep. two free throws and then gives uh, X no chance at all. Yeah, it, it was the free throws uh, for sure that ice the game, but yeah. you know, the importance of that block and steal. I don't know if you'd call that a steal. It's more so like a rebound. Um, that defensive possession is what's most important. Um, but like you said, Peter, you know, it, it was the role players last night that got the job done. Um, and by role players, I mean, anybody that's not uh, Devin Carter or Josh Oduro. So um, specifically, obviously ticket gains with the, you know, that huge block and, and the free throws to seal the game. But I mentioned him earlier, Jaden Pierre, who had arguably his best game in a Friar uniform. He was 50% from the field going seven for 14, 50% from deep three for six. He had three rebounds, five assists, three steals, one block, only two turnovers and 17 points. It was a really, really, really good performance for Jaden Pierre. I think most importantly in the second half, he came up with a lot of clutch buckets, mm -hmm. including two, you know, monumental uh, yeah. three pointers late in the second half. Um, I realized it in real time last night. This is the second game in a row now where Jaden Pierre's late second half three point shooting, you know, helped Providence mm -hmm. edge out. Um, you know, obviously DePaul wasn't as tightly uh, contested a game as the Xavier matchup was, but Jaden, you know, hit back to back to back threes that really stretched that lead in the second half and made things comfortable. Last night against Xavier, his threes, you know, kept Providence in the game and, you know, helped us, you know, climb back out from what I think was a nine point deficit at one point. Joe, I'm going to ask you a quick question here and you probably can give me a quick answer. Would you say Jaden Pierre is probably our most criticized 
in a in respectful way because we've always done it respectfully, right? But our most criticized player on this podcast this season, would you say it's probably him? I'd say for the duration of the entire season. Yeah. Yes. I'd say okay. more recently, I think we've been criticizing Castro, but yeah, uh, from from November sixth until now, it's one hundred percent been Jaden Pierre. We've been very hard on him. Mm-hmm. And something you and I have talked about, I think, a million times. You can probably write a thousand word paper just repeating what we said in the fact that we need a third guy to step up. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter who it is. It doesn't have to be the same guy every game, but you need someone else to step up because you see when this offense struggles, when nobody else steps up, they go into these walls, right? And Jaden Pierre stepped up down the stretch, huge two threes. Uh, I thought he was good at finishing uh, throughout the night. He was a little, little antsy in the beginning of the game, like a lot of the guys uh, on the team, including Devin Carter, wasn't great to start the game at all. But I thought, yeah, I thought those two threes by Jaden Pierre were monumental, right, Joe? Because we were down nine, right, and we were kind of like trading buckets from like five points to seven points, and I'm mm-hmm. talking about the second half, right? And then we would get it to like one, or we would get it to three, and then we wouldn't get a stop, or we wouldn't make a bucket to either tie the game, take the lead, right? And it just kept doing that over and over again. We get a couple stops, a couple Jaden Pierre threes, and the whole dynamic of the game changes. And what I'm about to say is a really simple thing. It might sound really stupid, but that's what happens when you make shots, right? <laughs> it sounds make shots offense. No, you're, yeah. it's it's it, so it sounds, simple. It sounds stupid because, like, oh, of course you want to make shots, but like maybe this. What should I say? When you make three pointers in clutch time or down the stretch it creates a whole different dynamic of the game, right? And we shoot a lot of threes, right? We started two for 12 from three, and that was un- that was not the way you wanted to start this game because it was similar to how you started the Paul game, and that's not how you wanted to start that game either. But when you make shots, and when you have guys make shots in timely fashion, it, cre- it just it's such a different watch for this team, and it becomes so much easier. And those two Jaden Pierre threes, were monumental for this game because without those two threes, we don't win this game. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's funny the make shots offense. Um, yeah, like few, it's got, it sounds stupid, but like it's it's how it is. Yeah, I, I mean, a few years ago, back I think this was the first season of um, this this podcast back when it was the flex. Uh, Matt and I had a capex from Twitter join us for. A Xavier preview and he used to say you know Xavier needs to execute the make shots offense to win the game um, mm-hmm. and th- those episodes were typically a little more lighthearted in-, in nature but um, it's just ironic now all-, all these years later Providence beats Xavier and, and we're saying this but um, anyway back to your point yeah you know uh, when when the ball starts going through the net you know it makes things more or less open up, right? You know, you're more energized defensively uh, when, you know, the ball goes through the net. And Kim English said this in his press conference. He's seen guys, you know, uh, drop their heads, you know, miss the next couple of plays after they miss a shot. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that last night the guys did not do that because there were some empty offensive possessions. There were some head-scratching possessions and, you know, We've seen this team fold in games previous. I think, look at the last time we played Xavier. We weren't making shots. Xavier was killing us in transition, and, you know, they kicked our ass at home. 
This time around, different yeah. story. And the tougher team won the basketball game last night. So, you know, the 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 confidence you get when you see the ball go through the net is huge. Jaden Pierre played probably his best game as a friar last night. He continues to improve. Um, you know, keep in mind, he's only a sophomore, too, and he's putting up these types of numbers. He's going to be really good in years to come. Um, and hopefully he's he continues to play like this down the stretch. But, um, you know, it wasn't just Jade and Pierre in terms of the role players that, you know, provided a massive impact. I think, you know, new starter, Richard Barron, who logged 28 minutes last night, uh, he had a really good game, 10 points, three of seven from deep. Uh, defensively, I thought, you know, uh, he grew. He didn't have his most sound defensive performance, but when you're a freshman playing big minutes like that, it's tough. Mm -hmm. uh, so credit to Rich Barron for sticking with it. But uh, Corey Floyd Jr. off the bench is another guy that I think really sticks out. 11 points, five rebounds, you know, three for seven from the field. He hit a three, perfect from the free throw line. He's someone who continues to just be so, so important to this team down the stretch. His game was highlighted by that coast-to-coast -coast layup. Uh, this is, again, similar to Jaden's second game in a row or, or – yeah, I think second game in a row where he, he just took the ball from one end to the other and laid it in. Yeah, like you mentioned Rich Barron, and I thought the funniest Rich Barron play was a play that almost gave me a heart attack, right? Um, out of the TV timeout, you're up five at that point. And, oh no, heading into the TV timeout, you get a steal by Pierre, right? You're up five after a Pierre three and then a Desmond call and turnover. Uh, Pierre steals it, right? And Rich Barron looks like he's about to huck up a, a crazy long three, right? Early in the shot clock. And you're like, oh, my God, no. But then he pump fakes and then takes it to the lane and then takes a long two-pointer, which in, in this day and age in college basketball is probably the least efficient shot. If you want to agree with it or not, it probably is. Mm -hmm. And then he gets fouled, right? I, I, I was like – and I, was, I thought that was the funniest thing because you can see the confidence that – this kid has right like Joe we're talking about four a little more than four minutes left in this game you're up five and you have a freshman about to take a long three pump fakes and then takes a long two right it it was it a good shot no but it, it was I love the confidence from him right right and as a freshman we you see guys across the country and in the big east that have no confidence because they don't want to mess up. They want to get in the game, and they, they want to give it to the Devin Carters of the world, the Josh Aduros of the world, right? And they don't want to get in the way because they don't want to get yanked by taking a bad shot, making a bad pass, doing something wrong. Rich Barron, sometimes it hurts him, but sometimes it doesn't, but it's going to help him, not this year, but it will help him in year two and year three of Rich Barron on this team because he is confident, and he's not afraid to let it rip from downtown. And one of the reasons he plays 20 plus minutes a game on this team because he has that confidence and he's not afraid to uh, let it rip. And then when you said Corey Floyd Jr., right? Corey Floyd Jr. has been fascinating because, look, he, this hasn't been his the, the year I think we expected heading into the year. He had a, probably the most, outside of the core guys that we thought were going to be elite players, uh, a guy that we thought was going to take a huge jump was going to be Corey Floyd Jr. Everyone in the offseason on social media, people that cover this team, we're talking about Corey Floyd Jr., right? And it, it hasn't fully come together for him, but he's starting 
to be a little more confident from three, right? Like his threes are starting to fall time for time. He's not forcing stuff. And I think he's just kind of taken what the defense gives him. Uh, he uses his athleticism. You meant that you mentioned that fast break layup. Uh, he's done that a couple of times. And then I think defensively, he's been great. He gets a lot of clutch rebounds when the, the team went small ball, when they didn't have either Castro or Odoro in the game. He had a couple timely rebounds, yep. and he's always diving on the on the ground. So Corey Floyd, your perfect 20-minute player off the bench that's going to give you energy, that's going to hustle, and that is going to rebound for you. Yeah, what I really love about Corey Floyd too, right, is uh, I think it's known now that he's not going to stuff the scoring column night in and night out. But as long as he continues to make those hustle plays that win games, then that's okay, right? Like, we don't need him to come off the bench and drop 20 points like he did at Butler. I mean, would it be great if he did that every night? 100%, right? We we, we beat the dead horse saying that we're searching for that third level of scoring. So, of course, you know, in an ideal world, that would be nice. But if he continues what he's doing, you know, within that seven to 15 point range night in and night out and just continues to make the hustle plays. That's okay. And yeah. you know, that's going to help us win games. Um, but yeah, you know, looking at this game, it's kind of funny because we've talked about ticket. We talked about Jaden and then we talked about, you know, the role players like Corey and rich. We didn't even talk about Devin Carter who led us in scoring um, and had mm-hmm. a, another double double on another stat stuffing night. And I think that's a good thing, right? Uh, You know, the past couple of games here, we've been talking about how sensational Devin Carter is and how he should be the front runner for Biggie's player of the year. Last night in what was probably one of Providence's more important wins of the season, you know, he was leading the way and firing on all cylinders. We haven't even gotten to him yet. Um, Yeah. So I think that just speaks to the impact that, the role players had because this was their game, you know, as good as Devin was, this was the role players game. Um, so Carter, he finished with 22 points, 11 rebounds, seven assists, four blocks. I mean, yeah, geez, that's pretty good. And, and mind you, this is while going seven for 20 from the field and one for six from deep. So, you know, not his best shooting night. He wasn't remarkably efficient, but still got the job done, put up huge numbers and, you know, was the lead dog for the Friars. Well, Joe, right? If you think about it, he started 0 for 7 from the field, right? Then he proceeds to go 7 for 13 from the rest of the game, right? It wasn't like he was wildly inconsistent when you needed him to be, right? Right. And I think, and he wasn't the only one in the beginning of the game when you were, when I texted you, right? And you, because you missed the first half. And I said, uh, we, were two, we were starting like 2 for 12 from 3, right? and we were chucking from three. He was one of those players that was just launching from three. And I think he has shot the ball remarkably well this year, right? 40% from three. He's been a great three-point shooter. Above expectations for his three-point shot. I still That's still not his best part of his offensive game. It is still getting to the hoop and finishing over defenders because he's so athletic and he can finish over anybody, right? Mm-hmm. So he started a little – like the whole team started with just shooting threes, and that got him in trouble. They were down 28 to 19 early. Like that got him in trouble really early on, and I think they kind of bounced back from that. And I think Devin – he didn't take a lot of threes in the second half, right? Like he started getting to the hoop. So 
that was one of the reasons he was inefficient. I thought he was a little, uh, in the beginning of the game, a little uh, a little bit out of control. He has a couple of those plays a game. But down the stretch, I thought he was remarkable on defense. In the first half, he did hustle a couple times on defense, and I got really annoyed. And I think in the second half, he kind of woke up defensively, right? I think this was a really good second half from Devin Carter. I don't think it was a particularly good first half from Devin Carter, but if it's a good second half and you win the game and he's one of the reasons, who the hell cares at the end of the day, right? It doesn't really matter. Yeah. So he was great in the second half. I thought when they switched him onto Claude, he was physical. Um, he's super athletic. He has four. He had four blocks, right? Like he can jump with anybody. So I thought his best part of his game was defensively in the second half. And then obviously rebounding and then obviously passing. And the shot kind of came. And something that he's been very up and down with is his free throw shooting. And he was seven for nine, right? So he kind of cashed in on his free throws. Uh, the team did as well, was uh, 16 for 20, uh, shot 80% from three, uh, from three, that would have been nice, 80% from uh, the free throw line, which was also another reason you win this game. But I thought Devin Carter, second half was really good. First half, forced a couple shots, wasn't great defensively, but I think he had to get an amazing second half. Yeah, totally agreed. Um, speaking of free throw shooting, Xavier left nine at the stripe. Uh, Wait, I want to say something before we get that. When Whatever the point of the game that they said it, I, I for some reason, I thought X was shooting so well from the free throw line. I don't know why. Probably because, uh, and then, and then I go back and look at it. And I'm like, oh, they were 60.9%. I'm like, what? Well, there was a point in time where Desmond Claude had like back to back to back trips to the free throw line. Yeah, he was seven for eight. Right. So I think that might sway the perception. Um, like the visual when you're not like looking at the stats throughout right. the entirety of the game. Right. But regardless, Mm-hmm. Xavier missed nine free throws and lost the game by yeah. four. And you and I know damn well what it feels like to be on, on that side of things. So, oh, yeah, um, big time. you know, th- this is a Xavier team that has played one of the toughest schedules in the NCAA. Uh, you know, they're 13 and 13, seven and eight in conference. They are right now. I, I don't even think they're on most bubbles. They're on the outside looking in for the NCAA tournament. Um, but nevertheless, because of the schedule that Xavier has played, because of some of the teams that they have beaten, um, this was a quadrant one opportunity for Providence. And, you know, Providence now has five Q1 wins. They're a part of a very select few teams in the nation that are that have five or more quad one wins, um, which is huge for the NCAA tournament conversation. You know, the picture on the bubble right now Uh and specifically for the conference, um, Providence, like I mentioned last time, you know, uh, I brought up doing a chin up out of the, the log jam. This was another chin up for Providence because two games over 500 at nine and seven, uh, Villanova's win over, uh, who did they just beat? Butler. Yeah. Butler. Villanova's win over Butler tied Providence and Villanova at fifth place with Villanova having the tiebreaker with respect to Big East tournament seating. Providence now, you know, takes the advantage over Villanova at nine and seven, uh, 18 and nine overall. And, you know, looking at the standings, the the conference is starting to separate a little bit. Um, Now take, do with that what you will. There's still, you know, two, three full weeks of, of, conference play left before every before the dust finally settles so things can certainly change um you know i'm gonna knock on wood right now because of that but uh things start there's still time for things to change but the 
logjam of, you know, seven and sevens, eight and eights, like is starting to to separate now. UConn, even though they lost, even excuse me, even though they got their asses kicked by Creighton, still sits alone atop of the league. Marquette has sole ownership of second, Creighton third, Seton Hall fourth, Providence fifth, Villanova sixth, Xavier seventh, Butler and St. John's are tied for eighth, Georgetown in 10th, and DePaul in 11th. So the reason I say the conference is separating out is because as it stands right now, there's only one tie as opposed to the three, four, five ties that did exist at one point in time. Um, you know, so many implications from last night's win. Not a must win, but definitely a nice to have. You mentioned the quad one, right? Mm hmm. That got us to five quad one wins. And I put out on Twitter today and I t- retweeted it on the podcast account as well. Uh, teams that Providence has more quad one wins uh, than these teams this season. And all these teams, for the most part, are fairly safe in the tournament. Maybe one or two, maybe not. But the teams that they have more quad one wins. And, I, and when I was looking at this, Joe, right? I wasn't picking on the teams that only play like four quad one wins, four quad one games, right? Because I feel like that's a little unfair. You had to at least play like at least seven or eight, right, to make it a little at least fair enough. So Friars have more quad one wins than Alabama, Auburn, BYU, Illinois, Michigan State, Kentucky, Texas Tech, Florida, and Colorado State, just to name a handful, right? Like, those are some really, really good teams, some very high seeds in there, including Alabama and Auburn, right? Some high-ranked teams in there. Uh, and, yeah, like Illinois, I know they lost to Penn State on the road, but they were a top-15 team on eight people heading into that. Like, it shows how important last night's game was, right? right? And it shows getting to a fifth quad one might be the difference of you being in the tournament or not in the tournament, right? Like, it's right. – it's that small margins of where the fires sit because every there's so many teams in this 10 seed to not in the tournament range, right? Like there's, a, there's probably like 15 to 20 teams that are trying to vie for that, right? And if you can stack wins and you can get wins, then you can get into the tournament. And then you mentioned the Big East, right? And I started the show talking about the fires trying to push for that four seed. <clears throat> as soon as I start talking, of course, I get a cough, right? Um <laughs> Providence has nine wins. Seton Hall has 10. Seton Hall has five losses. They're in the game back in the win column. Obviously, the two back in the loss column. Seton Hall plays this weekend against Butler. Uh, so that is something to watch. But the Friars are trying to avoid, Joe, that sixth seed. Right? Yeah. You're, you're trying your best to play, uh, not play on that Wednesday. And, and I, I've seen people say, well, like, don't you want to play as many games as possible because you're a bubble team? Not really. Because if you're the sixth seed, for example, or the seven, you're either playing Georgetown or DePaul. And that game means absolutely nothing if you win. If you lose, you're done. And if you win, it doesn't move the needle for you being in the tournament or not in the tournament, right? So you kind of want to avoid that game. Uh, And then I think, like, if if you're looking realistically, then you would get a Seton Hall team, right, if if you get to the five seed at, at the moment in, in, in the quarterfinals on Thursday. And I think that's a realistic game that you can win. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, 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 I understand why some people might say you want to play more games, but 
you know, if it comes down to it, I think the quality of the wins outweigh the volume of games played or games won, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I forget the team specifically. It might be Ole Miss, but I think there, there's an argument for, you know, quality of wins beats overall wins. I, I'm I'm going to find the tweet now. I think it was by the full 40, their Villanova podcast, but they were basically saying like, Joe Lunardi had, um, you know, Providence out. I think it was. I think it was Ole Miss. It was. It's in my likes on Twitter. Um, yeah, he has us in today. If you saw that. Yeah. I, well, I mean, uh, separately on Joe Lunardi, if you're a Providence fan and you take what Joe Lunardi puts out to heart, don't, because Lunardi's an ESPN guy, so he's not going to give the benefit of the doubt. It's to, it's the weirdest thing because, like, if you look at the Fox guy, he has all these Big East teams in. Mike DeCourcy, then, yeah, yeah, which like. Which you also probably shouldn't think, look into as much as well, right? Like you have to take everything with a grain of salt, no matter what bracket. I think you look at it. I've been in a hundred percent. Now I can't find this for the life. What are you looking for? The full forty basically tweeted like a resume comparison of Providence. I think it was Old Miss. Hold on. Oh, you know why? I'm on the wrong account. I'm on my personal and not the POV. Hmm. Hmm. Hang on. I'm almost there. Okay. Ole Miss is the last team in over Providence at 16 at 19 and six in the sec. Uh, they don't really have any, you know, outstanding wins. Um, you know, they kind of, they held serve of their non-conference slate and then have lost six. This was through, I don't, did they just lose to Mississippi state? I have no idea. I can look it up for you. Ole Miss basketball. They, yeah, they got boat raced by 12. Right. So uh, uh, keep in mind, this is two days old. So this was before Lunardi's last thing. But um, the point of the matter is, is like, I think quality of wins goes farther than how many wins you have, right? Like Ole Miss Mm -hmm. had that huge winning streak to start the season, but since they've gotten to SEC play, you know, nothing spectacular. Um, so I, I think that matters, right? Providence has wins over Wisconsin, Marquette, Creighton, on the road at Seton Hall, on the road at Xavier, right? These are quadrant one wins. Um, Marquette, Wisconsin, Creighton are all, you know, tournament locks as it stands across multiple different bracketologists. Uh, Seton Hall is on the bubble or in, depending on who you ask, right? I think that is more important than how many wins you have. So back to the original point that we were talking about probably like three, four minutes ago now, in terms of the Big East tournament, you want that five seed because five and onward is going to give you a quality matchup if you win. If you're like the eight or the nine or the seven seed, you have to play through the rubble at the bottom of the conference before Mm -hmm. you can even think about picking up a quality win on a neutral floor. So anyway, long-winded. One thing I want to say about that, Joe. Yeah, go ahead. So I'll, I'll play devil's advocate, right? I think we should be the five. Well, that's not what I said. I, I, I would, I'm shooting for the five, obviously, right? Obviously, you're shooting for the four. It doesn't really matter, four or five. Uh, same thing. Um, but if you're the six, you do avoid UConn. So to keep that in mind, you get a harder quarterfinal game, but then technically you wouldn't have to play UConn until the finals. 
yes. I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm, no, I'm not no, saying no. that's what I'm thinking. I'm just but no, you're right, but, Joe. In the quarterfinals game, you would get a Creighton team besides a Creighton team instead of a Seton Hall team. And I don't know who you we can beat Creighton twice. We can beat Seton Hall twice. I don't know if we can beat Creighton twice. Well, I'm gonna flip this back on its head now. Sure, if you're the sixth seed, you don't have to see UConn until the finals. Yeah. But you've also played an extra game that UConn hasn't played in the same time span. Yeah, and you also you also risk playing a DePaul team that what if you lose to? Right. So like, I'm not saying you're gonna, but you, you just risk playing an extra game like you just you and I just mapped out a minute ago. That means nothing. Right. That means absolutely nothing if you win the game. Right. But I'm just I was playing if you want to go win the Big East tournament, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're doing. Probably a technically an easier path, sort of though, because you still get Creighton in the quarters and then Marquette in the semis instead of Seton Hall and then UConn in this. I, I don't know. It's, there's not a lot of easy games I just mentioned in those four games anyway. No, there's not. It's um, not like I'm. It's not like you get either Creighton, Marquette, or Georgetown and like I'm, or Nepal. I'm not. I'm like it's it's honest. Creighton, Marquette. It's like tough games. Honestly, Georgetown up every every game is going to be tough. Um, you know, it, it it sucks for DePaul, but really they're they're the only team that really isn't competitive. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Georgetown gave <coughs> uh, St. John's a little bit of a run for their money. They scored eighty five points on them. Uh, Georgetown gives a lot of teams, you know, spurts of good basketball. It's just consistency with them. Yeah. Um, anyway, I. <laughs> this has been such a long-winded tangent here, but um, I forgot what we were even talking about. Talking about getting the five seed in the Big East tournament. Um, <laughs> I think ideally, you know, best case scenario is the five seed. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna steal a quote from Kim English in the press conference last night, and that's you know we're taking this one game at a time. Uh, yeah. You you can't re- if you want to make the NCAA tournament, you can't you know play look ahead you know the next game has to be the most important game for you um so that, that that's the mantra that we should have even though we don't uh you and i that is we we'd love to play look ahead but um in terms of what the team is probably thinking it's more yeah. along the lines of let's win the next game uh yeah and yeah like, and i think the weekend off joe is i think it's huge at this point of the year right yeah it, like, it, it's it gives you a breather after a an intense game on Wednesday night on the road, and then you got to go on the road again next mm-hmm. week against Marquette, and we'll touch on that obviously next week. But like it gives you a weekend off into your final four games of the season that are is so important. Those four games because those four games are obviously going to make a break if you're in the NCAA tournament or not. Yeah, yeah. This is a very uh... Now I'm contradicting myself because I'm talking one game at a time. But the 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 next four games are huge, right? Oh uh, yeah. At Marquette, you know you have a chance to sweep the season series there. Oh, that'd be massive. You have an opportunity at home to seek revenge against a Villanova team that boat raced you in Philadelphia. You go on the road and look to sweep Ed Cooley's Georgetown Hoyas, and then you end the season prime time, eight p.m. Saturday night on Fox and you host what will likely be the number one team in the country um, for what could possibly be a ticket punching opportunity. So mm-hmm. the, we're in for a, uh, you know, a movie ending here to conference play for this Providence team. 
Uh, I'm kind of I'm running out of things to talk about here, Peter. Do you have any 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 closing thoughts? I say we just close with what happened on Wednesday night, right? Like the Friars got a massive win, right? And we didn't even mention. <laughs> maybe I'll end with this, Joe. And I know we're going a little long here, but why not? We didn't mention Josh Adoro or Rafael Castro. Yeah. That's- uh Josh Adoro played 25 minutes, took five shots, which is I think is a, a crime against humanity, taking him taking five shots. Mm-hmm. Uh agreed. But foul trouble, right? He picks up his fourth, what is it like five, six minutes into the second half, and the small ball, small ball, the small ball lineup worked. But then Rafael Castro played 13 minutes of Good basketball, two for two from the field with six rebounds with four points and was kind of a, I'm going to say this, kind of a pain in the ass down low. He finally felt like he used his length to his advantage. And on the Corey Floyd layup, he sealed a defender. I think it was a Corey Floyd layup or could have been a Pierre. He sealed a defender, something that Kalkbrider does a ton for Creighton. So shout out to Rafael Castro. I think that's a good way to end it. I thought Adora was some foul trouble. Uh, you think at uh, Joe, you think Josh and Daryl goes into 4,000. You're like, Oh boy, like 12, 13 minutes left. And Oh boy. Right. Like yes. this could get dicey because uh, obviously how important Josh Adoro is and the small ball lineup works. And I think Rafael Castro played some massive minutes and they kept putting him in towards down the stretch, obviously for the four, four fouls for Josh Adoro. But like, I thought Castro probably played his best 13 minutes as a friar. Yeah. Castro, you know, he had six rebounds. I thought there was one defensive possession where we got the stop and Castro wasn't, you know, credited with the block in mm-hmm. the stat sheet, but his length, uh, you know, disrupted Xavier's ability to score at the rim. We get the rebound. We came down, we scored like that's a, you know, a, a four point swing right there. So really, 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 you know, solid minutes from Castro, who's been very inconsistent this season. We really needed them because like you said, Oduro was in foul trouble. Um, you know, hopefully Oduro can get right against Marquette on the road. Um, I don't but, think it's even a, sorry to, I'm not saying, I don't think it's even a get right. Sorry to cut you off, Joe, but no, 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 you're good. Like he took five shots. I Right. Like he, he, I think it's the people. It's it's weird to say the people around him have to get right because we won the game, we scored seventy nine points, and they really don't. But him being only taking five shots and the foul trouble obviously threw that off completely. Still played twenty five minutes. Like it, this is probably more of something that should have happened in the first half when he only took three shots and was three for three. Like he needs to touch the ball way more, especially when you start at two for twelve from three. Especially when Devin Carter started zero for seven from the field, right? Like from the field, Josh Adore has to be the guy that touches the ball when your offense is struggling. Like when you need to go get an easy basket, he is the guy. And I just felt like they kind of went away from that. That's probably one my probably only main critique of the game on Wednesday night. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, all that to say, Providence still wins the game and the role players did their job. Um, you know, so it's kind of like that game against Butler on the road, except we had Josh this time. Um, nevertheless, I think that's going to do it from us here at Providence POV. You'll hear from us again next Tuesday when we'll preview the Marquette matchup. Providence will have a couple of days off before flying out back to the Midwest, back to Milwaukee. Um, So stay tuned. For Peter DiBiase, this is Joe Howie. As always, this podcast is brought to you by House Enterprise. Visit us at house-enterprise.com to get in on all of the action and all of the great content that our creators produce. 
In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Providence POV. You'll find this podcast anywhere where you consume your podcast content. Thank you for listening. And as always, go Friars. Go Friars.